Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey everyone, this is Kaveh, the host of the show you're about to listen to. Um, just wanted to put a little warning out there before we get started, because uh, we're going to talk about some stuff in this episode that that's pretty heavy. We're going to talk about sexual assault and rape. We're going to talk about torture. It's 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 pretty rough at times, and it gets a little worse as we go along in the conversation. So you know, I'll understand if you tap out at some point. Um, but I do think this is important stuff to cover, and I really do want people to know what's going on over there. Um, so thank you for listening. Uh, thank you for supporting the show. Um, if you haven't already, uh, share with your friends, tell people, um, like, subscribe on iTunes, all that stuff, or or whatever, just listen. Um, anyways, uh, here you go. Here's an episode with me and Dr. Arga Valenzalez and Dr. Montre Tavacoli talking about the protests in Iran. Salam, Befamin, to the Hune of Pod. My name is Kave. I think I'm pronouncing that correctly. <laughs> I am the host of this little medical podcast. Today, you heard me speaking. Well, you probably didn't understand it. And that's okay if you didn't. It was Farsi, because even Farsi speakers probably didn't understand it because my Farsi is so bad. Argavan is laughing at me with like the the amusement of like someone seeing like a dog wearing a sweater. Like, <laughs> like how adorable. <laughs> my Farsi is not good. I'm sorry. But I was saying, welcome to the House of Pod. I have some special guests, a very, very Iranian themed show today. The first show where all the guests are Persians, very exciting for me. And uh, no one more important than Dr. Argavan Salas, MD, PhD, PIMP, Associate Professor in the Department of Medicine at Stanford, an activist, a speaker, um, been on the show a couple of times already. I'm so happy you're back to help me um, figure out all the stuff we're going to talk about today. Argavan, thank you for joining me. 
Thank you so much for having me. And I'm so excited to talk about this with your audience. We are going to be talking, yes, with four, two, on, <laughs> about. Uh, we're going to be joined in a little bit by uh, Dr. Montre Tavakoli, um, and she's going to talk to us a little bit about her article that she just wrote, a blog piece for Kevin MD, about the Iranian protest and what's happened to the protesters. We're going to talk about that. But let's actually, before we get to that, I think, you know, it's interesting because um, I know you through the internets. Like, you know, uh, you're uh, a public figure on the internet. You're on the, the Twitter. You you do a lot of public speaking. You speak at a lot of medical institutions and, and you do uh, really great talks about uh, inclusion and, and diversity and the importance of those things. And you're a really uh, important person to follow on Twitter. Um, and we'll get to that at the end of the show. But there's something kind of funny that you and I discovered recently that um, I had no idea. Uh, we're from the same hometown. That's right. Went we to the same high school. The same high school. It's a very non-Persian high school in Northern California. Oh, no. <laughs> that, I don't think I knew anybody else. I knew I think of who was one other Persian family. I'm, I'm like one in the whole town of Morgan Hill. I'm sure there was more. I only knew one. I would have loved to have known one other person like <laughs> yourself. Did you did you have any other Persian friends growing up in, in our hometown? No. I mean, listen, I don't know how it was for you, but I... um. I, I didn't feel very connected to that part of like my family or like that heritage. You know, we left Iran when I was five and um, I didn't go back until after high school. So mm. Iran was like pretty removed from me. Obviously my mom is like you know, born and raised there and and I ate Persian food all the time. I love Persian food. So yeah, the yeah. food part I had down, but um, yeah. I didn't feel very connected to the culture and Farsi for me, you know, I, I obviously it was my first language, but when we moved to the U.S., my mom was very um, keen on me getting to know how to speak in English and write in English and doing well in school. And so we didn't speak Farsi at home. Mm -hmm. So not it didn't take long for my English to become much better than my Farsi. And then I just was like embarrassed to speak Farsi. Yeah. So anyway, it was a long winded way of saying that I, um, I didn't feel very close to Persian culture and yeah. I wasn't really seeking it. So I wasn't looking for friends from Iran or, you know, even when I went to college, like I didn't join the Persian Student Association mm. or anything like that. I, it didn't feel, I don't know, like it didn't feel like it was part of me. Plus, as you know, because we grew up roughly around the same time, there was so much stigma about oh, yeah. being from Iran. Oh yeah. So I didn't, I guess, loudly and boldly proclaim it no. um, as oh, at I that point in my life people this is funny um some people know this who listen to the show but i actually for a long i don't know how it started i was very young when it started um so i don't remember the details of it i think i was like and i got into a fight at one point very early in like elementary school or some point and my dad was like you are gonna go by kevin and so i went by kevin until wow. the end of high school at which point i was like you know i kind of want you guys to call me Kaveh called me by my name. You know, my friends were like, no, fuck you, man. We've known you as, for, as Kevin forever. We're going to call you Kevin. But then Very when culturally I got, sensitive. Yeah, yeah. Oh, <laughs> growing up in Morgan Hill, I mean, there are good folks there, but it was like, I remember we were like at, um, we were at like the coffee roasting club. We would hang out this little coffee club downtown. I'll hang out outside. And I was there with a big group of, of uh, people. And, and there was this, uh, someone got off the phone because this is back in the days when you had like to get off the payphone to talk to your family. 
and they looked like shell shocked and everyone's like what's wrong they're like some bomb went off somewhere and i think it was like i think it was like the olympic village i think it was like i, I forget who it was I, it, it was probably like some sort of white dude blowing up like a, a federal building for some militia reason or whatever but i remember just everyone stopping and looking at me and i'm like what <laughs> yeah like you did it <laughs> it was just it was a weird it was a weird sort of vibe um well and, we so, had both been in school um you would have been maybe in middle school when the first gulf war happened yeah i think i was in either i guess i was in fourth grade and that was the first time somebody asked me if i was a terrorist yeah what'd you say i don't fucker. you know what's interesting is the person who said that to me was a kid from lebanon well that's a real bummer Mm -hmm. internalized racism yeah what do you call it was funny i I, you didn't have this experience i when i went to college um it was different i i was like oh wow there's there's persian people here and like and like wait oh even more for me i don't know if this is for you but i'm like girls were like interested in me because like my name they'd be like oh my god kave what kind of name is that it's so exotic (laughs) what do you what's what is it what do you what do you do what is that (laughs) make me one of your princesses or whatever and it was great and i don't know anything about being persian because i'm like the ultimate like you know whitewashed you know i, I pass very well and like i I'm, I'm deep undercover and like <laughs> so like so i don't know much about it but i knew just enough to like be kind of exotic to like you know you know yeah. white women who like were interested in maybe trying dipping their toes into some <laughs> new waters i was a like a really good gateway ethnicity you know what i mean that's for weird. girls um so anyways okay that's not what we're here to talk about we could talk about that all day um and we probably will some other point at, at, at drinks at zeitgeist and we'll go over all those experiences but um we're gonna talk about something so much so much worse <laughs> so much worse and we're gonna talk about what's happening in Iran, the protests why and really if there's anything that we can do to help over there we're going to discuss that as well um to join us we have Dr. Tava Coley. Uh, she's here. She's ready to go. Shall we invite her into this little this little chat? Yeah, that'd be great. Okay. And we're back. Joining. Argavan and myself to discuss what's happening in Iran and give us a little bit more understanding and and a little bit uh, more detail. We have He Monk fellow Dr. Montre Montre sorry Tavakoli. My I, I'm so embarrassed that as an Iranian guy I fuck up Iranian names constantly. So I'm so sorry. How do what? I pronounce? Tell me how to pronounce your name correctly. You know what? It, it's Montre Tavakoli, but I have such an uncommon name. Um, everybody tends to butcher it. So you are definitely not the only one. <laughs> no, but I mean, I, I probably shouldn't. I probably shouldn't. <laughs> Anyways, thank you so much for joining us. Um, I, you know, part of the reason I brought you on was I read your uh, blog post on Kevin MD, where you just was out, I think just yesterday or today, right? Yesterday, yeah. Yeah. And you give a little bit more detail into what's actually happening in Iran right now. And, um, you know, I follow along closer than the average American does because I'm interested in the topic, but still there's so much I don't know. And if there's so much that I don't know, I mean, 
it really goes to show how little we in the West are hearing about what's happening in Iran. So what what I'd like to do, and maybe um, Ardawan, maybe I'll start with you on this one. If we could just start at the beginning with people here. I mean, we don't have to go all the way back to the 1979 Iranian revolution and the enforcement there of the hijab, but can we start where these most recent protests have been about, what they've been about? Yeah, absolutely. But I will just say that I think we do have to mention the 1979 revolution, because to understand where we are today, you have to know that it's been almost 44 years of oppression going on in Iran. And not to say that it was completely free of oppression prior to 1979. And, you know, that I think we definitely don't have to go that far back. But what's important to know is that there was a revolution in 1979 that essentially was backed by the U.S. and the CIA that led to Khomeini, Ayatollah Khomeini being in charge. And that is what started really the descent of the country that's gone on over the last several decades, which has ruined the economy of the country, which has... Um, created a completely misogynistic, gender-separate country in which women and men cannot study side by side. They cannot be at the gym at the same time. They Women are not allowed into sports stadiums, etc. All of that happened because of the revolution in 1979. So this current set of protests that started on September 16th of 2022 was just in my mind, inevitable. It just happened that that event is what set it off, but something was going to set it off. And in fact, there have been protests going on for a long, long time. Um, even in November of, I'm going to get this wrong. Was it 2019, Montre? It started in 20, yes, November of 2019. And it led up to around January, February of 2020. Yeah. At the, at that um, instance, which they call like bloody November in English, Thousands of people were murdered by the Islamic regime. In the 1980s, thousands of people were murdered by the Islamic regime. You know, so this has been repeated um, instances of protests for, because people want freedom. That's it. They just want to be able to live life like we do. And I know that there has been, I agree with you, a completely very little press coverage, but the coverage that has been has really focused a lot on this hijab um, question, which you mm -hmm. brought up as well. But the hijab is like just a symbol. It's a symbol of all that is wrong with the regime in Iran. Yeah. It's a symbol of all the things I mentioned, the economic depression, the lack of opportunities, the gender separation, um, all the things that have to do with, you know, lowering the marrying age for women, which happened under this regime down to nine. It's now 13 for girls, um, but it's lower for girls than it is for boys. Uh, women's value is literally by law half of the value of men so like if i were going to be a witness in a court case they would need two of me to counter one man's testimony anyway so these are all of the things that people are protesting and why it's happening in this instance is that um a young woman 22 year old kurdish woman who was in tehran was arrested by the morality police is what they call them in in the u.s but basically they they alleged that she wasn't wearing her hijab or head covering appropriately. Now, I've seen the photos. I think we've all seen the photos. Like she was wearing her headscarf the same way that I wore it the last time I was in Iran, which was in 2017. And um, and it was more, she had more of her, her head covered than a lot of girls do and women do in Iran. So it's not actually that she was doing something wrong or different from everyone else. Um, but she was arrested and, and beaten 
and she died as a result of the injuries that she sustained while being detained. And that was really the spark in the powder keg and brought people to the streets to say, we do not want this. We cannot tolerate this anymore. We already didn't want it, but like, now you're going to do this. You're going to murder someone over their headscarf. Like that is, we draw the line. Um, at least this is my take. And I, and I, we have to all acknowledge that none of us is in Iran right now. Um, and so this is our effort is to try to amplify the messages from people in Iran, but those are the things that we're hearing that they're fed up. And so that started, as I said, September 16th, the day that Masajina Amini died and uh, they promptly arrested the two main journalists who had been involved in making her story well-known, which are Nilufar Hamidi and Elahe Mohammadi, who remain in prison today. Um, and they started immediately doing what they do every time there are protests, which is to arrest everybody they can just for being on the street and for having a voice um, and then killing people. I mean, this is what they do every time. And then of course, um, turning off the internet. So re restricting internet access so that the rest of the world can't really know what's happening. That's like their playbook every time. Um, and, and it has worked in the past, you know, eventually people yeah. say, gosh, like you're killing so many of us, this isn't going anywhere. We give up. Um, yeah. but and this it, is the, sorry, go ahead. And it takes a little bit of interest from the West for short periods of time. And then it goes away. It's, I think if the United States and people in the West in general had I think they'd be blown away by the history of Iran. I'm not even talking about the ancient history. I'm just talking about the recent, if they knew about Project Ajax and they knew about what the American and Western involvement was in bringing about the, the rise of Khomeini, I think they would be pretty blown away by it. It's never been really covered. I mean, the closest was like maybe a one little line script in the beginning of Argo before he went on to do your typical Hollywood bullshit, right? So you don't you don't get that very much. I think one day it'd be interesting, but... I do think, Mantra, tell me, I feel like historically these protests feel a lot different. There's been protests, as Argavon mentioned, for a while now. Mm -hmm. Let's talk a little bit about why these protests are different, how they're different than ones in the past. Yeah, they're completely different because it's Generation Z that's pouring out onto the streets. Um, in the past, there have been demonstrations and people have been, you know, poured onto the streets and they've been upset about the situation and previously it had been for example bloody aban which was bloody november was related to an economic crisis actually that's why people um, started protesting and whatnot um and uh, what they were talking it had to do about, with the price of oil right the one in it had to in do with the price of oil that's correct and there was some talk about them wanting the islamic regime to be replaced but a lot of people were also talking about reform that's not what we're seeing here that's not what people are talking about the young generation they're seeing how the rest of the world is living through social media right they are bloggers they're talking about their lives and they're seeing the lives of other people on, in the west you know all around the world and um, in seeing all of that, they realize that this is not what they want for themselves. And so I think that's where things differ. And in addition to all of that, they've suffered so much as a result of being as oppressed as they have been, but I think also being exposed to what it means to live outside of Iran, um, that they have essentially become suicidal. Um, they're willing to give up absolutely everything. They're willing to give up their lives in order to experience freedom in this country that they live in. So I think that's where the biggest difference lies. 
it, it, it seems also the places we're seeing it are quite different. It's not just the cities anymore. In Iran, it's just like it is in the U.S. You go to the cities, it's the more educated, like, you know, university class people out there protesting. But it's it's not been like that. It's been in places like Mashhad and, and Qom. I don't know if I'm saying those places right, oh. but I know they're more like, holy, yeah, like holy cities. You know, yeah. I, I, and I know that's both in like the, the urban middle classes and the rural working areas. It seems like the biggest challenge or the biggest like mass movement of Iranians since probably the, the revolution in, in 79. It feels like this is bigger, feels feels stronger. But you, you mentioned um, you, you mentioned what's happening to the protesters. Could you speak on that a little bit? Can we talk about the casualties? Because I, I mean, we've seen numbers. It's hard to get good numbers. Obviously, they say the, the regime says ridiculous things like, oh, that one person who, who like had their head crushed in and their eyeball came out of its socket that was a, a they had a heart attack you know right. they'll say like absurd things what what kind of numbers are we seeing and, and where are you able to get that kind of information you do mention this a little bit yeah it's impossible to get an accurate number um i think that this number of 500 plus individuals having been killed and the 69 plus children who have been killed this significantly underestimates the actual numbers and the reason for that is a because there are plenty of silent executions that are ongoing that we're not talking about. Nobody's talking about, you know, the information's not coming out, so we can't spread the word about it. Um, yeah, some example, people are calling those extrajudicial executions. These are the right. ones that are just happening on the streets or in the prisons or whatever, but aren't being tracked by anyone. Exactly. So, you know, everybody heard about the two executions of these 23 year olds uh, about two to three weeks ago at this point in time. But I had actually posted images of people being hung about a month and a half ago on my Instagram page, for example. So this has been going on and nobody's really talking about it. So that significantly leads to an underestimate of the numbers. Um, in addition to that, a lot of the family members are afraid of speaking up about what's going on. Because if they speak up and say, hey, listen, my child has been abducted or has been killed or whatever, um, then they're at risk of being taken in and abducted by the Islamic Republic. And that has happened. There was an image of a 14-year-old girl who had been, am I allowed to use the word, word rape on this, uh, on this yeah, show? Yeah, you can use whatever okay. words you like. I mean, okay. I, I think, you know, I'll put, I'll put a trigger warning at the, the top of this episode. I, I think it's probably going to be pretty important that people understand we're going to talk about some very dark stuff that like even I can't find that much humor in but we'll you know we're 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 gonna have to cover it and we have to be open about it people need to know okay great um so so there was an image of a 14 year old girl um who had been raped and had been killed and the image of her is actually in rigor mortis um and it's a horrific image to see and uh, her mother spoke up about her death and she's been abducted and, and we don't know what's happened to her since in all likelihood she's probably dead. But does that death count towards that number? It's not. Um, and, and a lot of this is going on. Well, and I'll just add to that, like, especially earlier on, um, like in September, October, there were so many videos um, on social media of the various police forces in Iran on the streets with guns out just shooting into crowds um and even including people whose death was captured because they were filming what was happening and then you see yeah. that the film you know the camera drops suddenly and then you find out that person has died like Fazade Chelabi was one of those people um and so my point there is just that there are 
as Montre was saying, the, you know, people who are up for execution, who have received death sentences for, you know, were against God. And we can talk about that if you want, what that means. But, um, but there's also just so many deaths that there's no way anybody can be keeping track of or verifying also because the regime then steals the bodies. <laughs> yeah. They don't yeah. leave the bodies there for the families to claim yeah. they take the bodies. So it's really impossible to have good numbers. I will say though, for people who want like some sense of the numbers that Montre was mentioning, um, HRANA is an organization that's been posting uh, numbers daily. And so they include only verified information, which is why the numbers are, I agree with Montre, lower than than what reality probably is, but they're the verifiable numbers. Significantly yeah. lower, right? Because I mean, in the areas where the ethnic minorities reside, they're under militaristic attack. <laughs> there are tanks shooting at these people. And these, you know, these individuals who are dying are not being accounted for in these numbers yeah. that, were, that are being reported. And that, that's another great point. Like we had all these uh, videos coming out from Mahabad and Javon Rood a while back. And then now again in Javon Rood, same thing where you see um, literally tanks in the streets and um, military force against a people who largely have no weapons. Um, so it, that's just murder. And because it's we're mostly seeing that in areas where there are ethnic minorities as the majority. So like in Sistan, Baluchistan and in um, Kurdistan, it, that's genocide. I mean, I made a whole video about that, like whatever, a month and a half ago. Um, because that's what that is when you're targeting, you're killing on specific groups of people with the goal of extinction, which is, I, I think we would all agree that's what they're trying to do. That's genocide. Right. You know, you brought up that term that the regime is using uh, in these trials. The I forget the word in Farsi, but it means war against, war against God, right? <clears throat> it's like the most absurd concept to me. It's like one of the guys is Tumaj, is this rapper who's like this Iranian rapper who is being uh who's on trial for war against god and i'm just like don't you guys understand if you're suggesting that some iranian rapper that no one outside of iran had heard of before can actually wage a, a successful war against god then god is amazingly weak like what kind of god like does rap battles like and not even like with like big name rappers like it's like the <laughs> dumbest fucking shit it makes me so mad like here's here's the thing that it's hard to explain to americans and i think maybe we should try there's there's these real paradoxes that are hard to describe. Like, for example, one, that Iranians could be capable of doing all this shit on both sides. This intense bravery. We're seeing these people literally willing to give up and giving up their lives, giving up their eyesight. They're being shot specifically in the eyes with rubber bullets. That's what they're yeah. aiming for, to blind them. Women are being shot in the, the genitals in the crowd to just humiliate them and, just, and to try to destroy their lives. There is rape in, in the prisons. There is, it's a part of the, the regime's oppressive tools. All these things can happen <clears throat> on one side, whereas people are fighting so hard on the other. People don't understand like how much it, we have a strong sense of injustice, <laughs> Iranians, and it drives me crazy. Like it makes me so angry. I have a hard time controlling it. Honestly, I really have a hard time. It's like when it comes to this, it makes me so mad. And and there's 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 other Things I think would confuse people too, that maybe they're seeing from this for the first time. That one, you know, people in the West have this impression that Middle Eastern women are like maybe demure or, uh, you know, uh, letting themselves be oppressed. But they don't, I mean, maybe they don't understand how famously strong-willed Iranian women are. <laughs> like, like, well, I mean, I've, I've been known. Pretty... 
for it. You know what I mean? It's hard to explain to people how this how this dichotomy exists, you know? Well, I mean, I, th I think that's true. But what we're seeing, so I've been putting videos um, on TikTok since the beginning um, about what's happening in Iran. And one of probably the most common comments I get is, oh, my God, the bravery of Iranian women. Um, and especially when, you know, the early videos of them burning their headscarves or even this video that came out yesterday of this girl toward the soldiers without her hijab and she's holding her hands up with peace signs in both hands, uh, which I don't I'm not saying I don't think that's wise, by the way, <laughs> I saw that video and I was like, please seek shelter. Um, but but we see videos like that and, and people comment all the time. Oh, these women are so brave. And, you know, I made a video about this as well, that I've always known Iranian women are brave because we all have stories like what I'm about to share, which is that my mom in 1980s Iran got a divorce from the man who she married, who was my father, who was not any of the things that she needed him to be in and was creating an unsafe space in our home. And she managed to legally get a divorce, which is nearly impossible uh, to do in the current uh, under the current regime. And then we left. So she took me, a five year old, by herself to the United States to get a PhD. So I have a PhD. Even when I was getting my PhD, I was like, I could not imagine doing this with a five-year-old, six-year-old, seven-year-old, whatever, who I had to deal with. Like I had a hard enough time just dealing with the degree. Um, yeah. And so I've always known that Persian women are fire, um, but it's great. Actually, that's one of the good things that, come, that has come out of this revolution is that the world is now seeing that as well. Yeah, Iranian women are are very highly educated, um, and I think one thing that people don't tend to realize is that while Iran is an Islamic country, um, and and there are plenty of Muslims in Iran, uh, the people who live there are actually very Westernized in their their thinking. Actually, you know, before the Islamic Revolution, women would go out to the beaches in their bikinis and whatnot. Um, and, and in speaking to the youth, because I do talk to some of them, um, they're, they're more open-minded than us out here, honestly. <laughs> you know, a lot of our parents, they came from, uh, you know, the, the, they lived under the Shah, and so they thought a certain way. And, and you know, the youth nowadays, they've really evolved with the times, and they're just really open-minded. Um, a lot of the youth are actually queer. There was a survey that came out in 2014, um, and this was a survey that was conducted by the Islamic Republic, and it showed that 17% of young adults um, and the youth, the adolescents, actually identified as being quote-unquote homosexual, so lesbian or gay. Um, and that's a huge percent. So this is, I, I'm, I'm letting you know this, I'm giving you the statistics so you just start to understand the population of individuals that we're actually talking about here. Um, I don't know, Arlan, if you have anything else to add to that. No, well, the one thing I was going to say is to build off something you mentioned earlier is one of the ways that this set of protests, or I think we're really calling it a revolution, um, is different from what's happened in the past is that it's a united front. So you mentioned Gen Z and absolutely they've been a huge driving force and sustaining the majority of the injuries as well. Um, but we have seen a lot of older people out in the streets and posting online. So we're going across ages and it's also not, you mentioned cities and, and rural, and that is true. We've got both rural rural parts of the country and cities involved, but we've got all the different ethnic minorities as well. I mean, they're chanting things like, uh, you know, whether it's Sistan and Baluchistan or wh whether we're Baloch or, or Kurd, we're for Iran, you know, these types of things that I think we haven't really seen um, in, in the previous rounds. So I think that's 
part of what makes it so powerful and why there has been this continuation over months. I think we're on, are we on week 16 now? Um, don't, don't make me do math. Um, <laughs> the, no, yeah, yeah it, it's, yes, Persian women are, are very strong. It's very intimidating to be on a show with two Persian women. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. <laughs> and we're, we're all wearing black, by the way. Did you notice we're all wearing black? Yeah. And that wasn't even like planned. That's so Persian of us. That's, That's very Persian. Persian. <laughs> you know what, though? I think a lot of people are wearing black also because of the ongoing events. If you notice, I have a black ring on my finger and I haven't been taking it off. I've had it on my hand and I refuse to remove it until we win this revolution. And it represents... Uh, the, the people who are being killed on a daily basis. It's, it represents my support for them. So so I think you're going to be very commonly seeing black around uh, if you go around uh, Persian folks nowadays. Um, but is it okay if I add something else uh, to what you had mentioned previously about the, you know, you, you started kind of um, going back to, you know, the difference between the ongoing demonstrations and revolution really um, from those um, that had, had occurred in the past. And one of the really important statistics is you know, there was an audio leak from the Islamic Republic. Um, this was around the time of the World Cup. And in that audio leak, they mentioned that during the nationwide strikes on the first day of, I think it was the second nationwide strikes, 70 to 100% of the markets shut down completely in all the cities that were involved. I'm sure if we had the stats for the second and third days, we'd see that it actually went up to 100%. In Tehran, the capital, it was actually at 100%. So th this is, we're talking about something completely different here. Yeah. And it's really important, I think, because what people need to understand is a lot of people will say, well, you know, there are a lot of atrocities going on in, in, throughout the world, and why should we care about Iran? And I think the difference here is that we have a prime opportunity to save 88, per, uh, 88 plus million individuals and all their future generations. This opportunity is not gonna present itself in a year from now, in two years from now, five years from now. It's literally either now or never. And so I think it's really important for people to understand this and for them to realize that this is the reason why all eyes need to be on Iran right now. Because so, we can literally save these lives. Can I just add something? I know you wanna ask something, but to that exact point, Hannah Newman, who is, um, I think, an MP in Germany, um, she posted something today that we've been saying for a long time, which is, if we want stability in the Middle East, if we want Iran to not have a nuclear weapon, then what we all want is freedom for Iran, because this current regime is doomed for everybody, truly, except for themselves. So 
if we want, for example, Ukraine, if we want to support Ukraine, well, Iran is selling drones and weapons to Russia. You want to help Ukraine? Help us get rid of this regime. If you want more stability in the region, if you want less terrorism in the region, we've got to get rid of this regime. If you want Iran not to have a nuclear weapon, we've got to get rid of this regime. So all the things that I think people in the West want will happen if we get rid of this regime. I care about tax dollars. Care about what's going on in Iran? No, honestly. Let me let me let me ask you guys this though. Let me ask you. I mean, when people start talking about um, intervening and and having the U.S. or Americans or the West in general do something, I think a lot of Americans still and rightfully so are concerned about getting involved in in a, a war or a conflict. And I don't think I assume that none of us here want troops in Iran. We, none of us think that would be a good thing at all. We don't right. want that. So right. what what do we want? What do you guys think should be done by us in the West? List, I have a list of things that I can pour out right now. Let's do it. We need to halt all negotiations with the Islamic Republic, including JCPOA, the nuclear deal. I understand that people are like, well, we don't want this regime to have access to a nuclear weapon. We don't want them to have that either. This is a prime opportunity to completely get rid of this, the Islamic Republic and get rid of this regime. Let's get rid of them. Why negotiate with them? Number two, we need to urge countries to, exp uh, to expel the regime diplomats. We need to get rid of them. Three, freeze the Islamic Republic's assets. That is huge. If we weren't able to do that, we would automatically win this overnight, really honestly. Um, impose targeted sanctions against the Islamic Republic and their affiliates, not towards the people of Iran who've been suffering under the sanctions that have been placed over the past couple of decades, but targeted sanctions against the Islamic Republic and their affiliates. Stop supporting organizations such as NIAC. NIAC is an organization that is affiliated with the Islamic Republic and it is pushing for reform. The Iranian people do not want reform. This regime needs to go. This is, regime is not reformable in any shape, way or form. If you understand the brutality and the atrocities that are going on in the country. And then two really important things. All of these are important, but I think the most important things right now at this very moment in time, we really need our politicians to start reaching out to tech companies to create loopholes to overcome the Internet restrictions in Iran. And the reason this is so important is because initially, like there have been Internet restrictions throughout this revolution, but we were getting footage during the first couple of months over the past three to four weeks, I would say, the footage has been extremely limited. And it's hard for us to amplify the voices of the Iranian people when we don't see what is going on. I've tried to change my focus and tried to focus on translating the text messages that are coming out of Iran, yeah. but you don't have the same kind of impact. We need to see the footage. We need to see what's happening. A lot of what we're hearing about two particular regions in Iran currently um, that are under massive attack. We've been receiving information via text messages. I was fortunate enough, fortunate or unfortunate, there was a clip that was shared last night and I'm not sure why it was pulled. But in one of these two regions that I'm referring to, it was a clip of this girl screaming as she was being taken away in this car. And the text that came with it said that it was actually a, an entire family that was abducted and was being taken away in the middle of the night. And what it said was that at 
3 a.m. There are 500 police forces in the region who are literally just knocking on doors and abducting these individuals. Imagine the kind of impact sharing this kind of footage, footage would have on the world. Yeah, People need to see this and we need to hear their stories. And, and I personally have been posting less and less recently because I don't have the same content I had access to a month ago or two months right. ago. So we really need that. Um, and, and that's one of the most important things we need help with. I know that um, Elon Musk has been sending Starlink and whatnot, but that goes to the richest people in the country and and um, and it's helped to a certain degree, but not in the way that we need or had hoped for. Um, last but not least, um, the Regime Act of 2020, uh, 2022. So what we also want is for the Western countries to stop allowing members of the Islamic Republic and their affiliates to enter our countries, to enter the US, to enter Europe and whatnot. Um, and on December 19th, uh, US lawmakers actually proposed legislation to ban affiliates of the Islamic Republic under what is called the Regime Act of 2022. And we need this bill to be passed. Now, there are some deficits in it because um, it's going to prevent the Islamic regime, their affiliates and their family members from getting new visas. And if they have visas, they're going to get revoked, but that's not going to prevent or it's not going to affect those individuals who already have passports or who are citizens of these countries. Um, nevertheless, it's still very important to get that act passed because that's something that we've been working really hard towards. So where should people go? Who should people be writing? Is there a place that gives them a template to write these things? Is there a, a source we can send them? That's a great question. You know, honestly, I am actually over the past couple of days, um, because I've been doing a lot of my posting on my page on my own. <laughs> um, I've had one translator who's been helping me a lot, but I've been doing it a lot, on, a lot of it on my own. And um, over the past couple of days, I've been trying to get a team together to help me with this. And so some of the people on my team are currently working on um, putting together a mail to link that is going to include a list of all the actions that we need to, to be taken by our politicians. And what I'm hoping to do with that mail to link is it's going to be set up in a way where you have, you click on the link, it has the email, it populates, but then you get to write, you know, what city and what state you're, you know, you're from, and then it's automatically going to populate the contact information of senators and house of representatives and whatnot. So, so people's representatives based on where they're located and where they live. So that's something that I'm actively working on and I'm going to be posting it to my page and I'm hoping that, um, that it'll eventually go viral. Um, so that's in the works. I, I don't know if you have- Argovan, you have- well, I wanted to add that there are- organizations, as I'm sure you know, like Middle East Matters that have already set up something like that. Um, and I have a, a document as well. It's just a Google Doc, but the link is bit.ly slash free around 2022, um, all lowercase, uh, that has a templated letter and a link to a place called democracy.io, which similarly, you just put in your location and it automatically will send whatever you copy paste um, to your representatives. Um, but I, I wanted to just add two more things um, related to these actions that that governments could take. I agree with everything that Montre said. Um, but one other thing, I would just take it, I personally, just speaking for myself, would take it one step further and say that we need to actually deport the family members of the regime because they are here, they are in Canada, they are in Europe, and they are living a hijabless, mm -hmm. <laughs> modesty-free lifestyle and, and they're doing it off of the backs of the people of Iran whose money is being stolen from them by the regime. So I actually do think, I know not everybody agrees with me on that, but I think that deporting those individuals 
would give us the biggest bang for our buck um, in terms of folding that regime. But the other thing when we're talking about our members of Congress in this country or MPs in other countries is, um, you know, I don't know exactly how effective this is, but we've been seeing a lot of other people, uh, politicians sponsoring prisoners in Iran and a political prisoner specifically. So this started um, with some German MPs, but has really spread all over Europe. I have not seen this happening in the US. I've tagged you know, my representatives and asked them to do it. But the idea is that someone, you know, let's just say AOC, for example, could say that she's going to become a political sponsor for someone who's in prison. Like we mentioned one, the journalist earlier, Nila Fah uh, Hamidi. She could say, I'm going to become the political sponsor for Nila Fah Hamidi. We don't, in the US, obviously have any trade with Iran. So it's not like there's some legitimate immediate consequence to that. But it is the idea that if harm comes to Nila Fah, then AOC in this example would be trying to get some accountability from the regime. Mm -hmm. And... Beyond that, it gets these people's names out and known. Like we Iranians have been screaming people's names and hashtagging them like crazy for months now. But when someone like an AOC does that for somebody, like obviously that's a different scale. And, and we do think that, you know, I don't know if this is right or not, but we think that they're less likely to harm people who are so in the public eye. Um, and so... I think that that's one of the, the requests to our members of Congress or whoever your representatives are, wherever you are, is take up this political sponsorship. It costs you nothing. It's literally like a tweet that you post and you say you're going to take on this person's sponsorship. And then you do have to kind of keep an eye on what's happening for them. So like you and Rhi, I don't know if that's how her name is pronounced, but the one who started this in Germany, she's like tweeting every day about what's happening with Tamaj. You mentioned the rapper. That's who she's sponsoring. And she's like, what's happening with Tamaj? She has a hashtag how healthy is Tamaj really? Like she's constantly putting the pressure on them. And, and again, this is something that's free that our politicians could be doing. You also have a Google doc, right? Where you put together some thoughts and on this, where can people find that? Yeah. So that's a bit.ly slash free Iran 2022. I recognize we're in 2023 now, but I mean, in 2022. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll post a link to that obviously. And and Mantra, whatever you want us to post a link to, we, we will also for this episode really want people to get out there and and to see that. Um, you know, can I, I add some things. Yeah, you can add yeah. three things. <laughs> so, so the article that you referred to, the Kevin MD article. Um, yeah. So that was actually um, it, there, it's a two part article. Um, the first part was intended to inform the public about the atrocities that are going on uh, under the Islamic Republic. And the second part is meant to inform people, you know, or educate people as to, you know, why they should care about the situation and how they can help and whatnot. And so um, I'm waiting for that second, the second part of the article to actually get published. So hopefully that'll be out in the next two to three weeks just to keep an eye out for it. Yeah. Oh my God. Definitely. You know, I, I, this is not good podcasting to go back to a segment that we had earlier, but I just have so many questions about it. I feel like I have to, before we close up here in your article, this Kevin MD article, you mentioned something I did not, I had not heard about. Uh, and as a human, as a Iranian, as a hepatologist, liver doctor, it, it, it fills me with so much rage, it make I am made of anger right now. <laughs> I'm like 95% rage about this this story that you shared that 
they are in the regime before they release some of these political prisoners of which they've detained thousands as you mentioned they're giving them iv injections uh in infusions i guess of acetaminophen which can cause liver failure if done in toxic amounts I have never heard of this before. Can you talk a little bit about this truly fucking horrendous thing? Yeah. Um, so when the political prisoners, a.k.a. the protesters, were being released from prison, um, we noticed a trend where they were dropping like flies within 48 hours of being discharged from the prisons. And we weren't really understanding it because they were calling it suicides. Um but then there ended up being a report saying that it was actually acetaminophen toxicity. And more recently, there are reports coming out saying that it's opioid overdose that's causing them to, to essentially drop dead. Um, and we're, we're still trying to figure it out. We're trying to sort out what it is that they're injecting these protesters with. But very frequently, we're seeing that once they're released, they are dying within 48 hours. That's some fucking horrendous and so twisted, sadistic thing to do and so deeply cynical on a, on a level that makes me question how faith exists. And it really... Well, you have to, I think, yeah. to understand it, and this is relevant to a point that was made earlier, too, about this waging war against God. You have to understand that they see Khamenei, the current so-called supreme leader, as a representative of God. They see themselves as basically God and God's servants, like carrying out God's work directly. And so anything that is in their way is against God. And that is why going out in the street and protesting is waging war against God, because you're waging war against the regime and the regime is God. And look, you, you know, being injected with IV drugs and dying within 48 hours sounds horrendous because it is. Because it is. But I think another thing that people need to realize is that even when we're saying that the reports of the numbers of people who died are about 500 plus and whatnot, or 500, yeah, 500 plus and whatnot, um, you have to think about the people who are in prison. 18,000 plus individuals oh, yeah. are in prison, and it does not mean that they are safe in prison, right? They are literally being physically tortured. They are being gang raped day and night. Nika Shakarami, her story is really horrific. She was taken into captivity, 16-year-old girl. She got raped day and night, was tortured for 10 days before she was finally thrown off a building. And you know what? I saw the image of her body on that floor after she got thrown off the building. She had bruises all over. Her crotch, her pant the pants were torn. Um, and she was disfigured. So it's not just about the number of people who are dying. Girls in Iran are literally reaching out to me saying, I am not worried about dying. They can take me and kill me. That's fine. I'm worried about what they're going to do with me once I'm taken into captivity. Well, even is, isn't it, I've also heard from, you know, Basiji and whatever, Sepa, that they've even said themselves, those are the, the security forces of different kinds in Iran, that they themselves have said that they see this in the, in the, prisoners that they're not worried about being executed. They're worried about what comes before, because we should just mention that they, they don't, they won't execute a virgin because virgins who die go to heaven and they don't want any of these protesters to go to heaven. So what they do is they have a sham wedding and then they rape the person before they kill them. 
And that's what they were doing. I'm not sure if they're even having the sham weddings at this point because they're raping men and women, boys and girls. It's not limited to girls at this point any longer. Um, And again, we have footage showing their bodies on the floors of the prisons after they've been raped. I, I the, with the showing the blood and every, I mean, this is gory. I mean, there's also like Armita Abbasi's case, you know, you mentioned Nika, um, who unfortunately didn't survive. Um, Armita is also a young girl. I think she's 22, um, who was detained from a, a protest and then was raped and tortured and sustained such severe injuries that they had to take her to the hospital. And then they took her to the hospital and she was noted by the medical documentation to have vaginal and anal tears and severe bleeding. And the regime kidnapped her from the hospital. And And, then for a long while, we didn't know where she was. Like there was no news about Armita. And then now we know that she's in prison and she just started a hunger strike. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, no, I was just going to say, I thought she was long gone. People were saying, where's Armita, Armita? I was like, well, she's, she, there's no way she survived it. Fortunately, she has, and she has a sham trial awaiting her on January 26, which we'll all be on the lookout for. But um, but yeah, this is the regime for you. Um, there was also the case, I mean, see, the thing is a lot of the prison or the protesters, even then when they're injured, they're afraid of going to the hospital. They're afraid of seeking medical care because when they go to the hospitals, they're being abducted. Um, there was a case of one girl who was taken in after being repeatedly raped and she was bleeding out, she was hemorrhaging and the physician refused to treat her. The, you know, the physician was saying, oh, she's just on her menses. And the friend was saying, no, she's not on her menses. She's literally bleeding out. She was lightheaded and was hypotensive and whatnot. Um, and I'm assuming that that physician was working with the Islamic Republic because there are plenty of other physicians who are actively going out of their way to treat these protesters. One of whom was Aida Rostami, who worked with doctors without borders and uh, who she herself ended up being uh, tortured and killed and that's the person you were referring to when you mentioned her heads you know one of the protesters heads being bashed and their eye having gone missing it wasn't actually a protester it was Ida Rostami that that happened to and all she was doing was providing medical care to these protesters and and she's actually a friend of a friend of mine um, and I was told that she would spend one day every week treating um, Afghani and Pakistani children. So she was a person who really um, volunteered her time to care for others and, and look at what happened to her. Well, and I would just add that um, there's been a lot of challenges for healthcare in Iran. Um, you know, our colleagues, all three of us are physicians. Our colleagues have been trying to work in just unbearable conditions. Because imagine if you're showing up to work and you don't know if you are going to be arrested for doing your work, you don't know if your patients are going to be abducted from the hospital, you don't know if you're going to survive or if they're going to survive. There have been blood shortages, and I heard this report, you know, a lot of this stuff is unverified, but that there was a truck of blood heading to one of the um, minority regions where there we talked about the military force that was being used and that the Islamic Republic actually um, damaged the truck and impeded its progress so that the blood couldn't get to the people who were injured. Um, So that's all happening. There was also a peaceful rally of physicians a while back at which um, a surgeon, a young woman, Patty Sabahoni, was murdered by the Islamic Republic of Iran. So you know, their fears are not exaggerated. They are making it nearly impossible for people to get care and to provide care. And that's why Aida Rostami, Dr. Rostami was actually going to people's homes um, when she disappeared. It was the day that she'd been out caring for people in homes. 
Yeah, they're actually hijacking the ambulances as well. So people think that they're going into an ambulance to go to a medical hospital, I mean, I go to a hospital nearby, and that's not the case. All of a sudden, they're being abducted in these ambulances, you know, so it's been really difficult. There's actually a physician by the name of Dr. K on Instagram who um, who became popular during COVID, and um, he's been treating a lot of these individuals via DM, believe it or not. They're sending him messages, and they're life-threatening situations, and he's one person. I know he has a team now that's helping him, but um, for a, a while, he was one person trying to address all these life-threatening situations via Instagram. I mean, think about how, I mean, try to wrap your mind around that. That's crazy. It, this this whole thing it's uh it's it's more than my brain can can handle it's just like it's it breaks my brain it, the whole thing is just so unbearably bad i know there's some bright spots i know there are some things to look for i know the bravery of these people is really something that we should look to as inspiration here and i will um, and I hope the listeners do too. And I hope the listeners feel like they can get involved on some level on, on any level. Uh, but it's, it, it's, it's, uh, it, this is about the toughest I've ever had, not, uh, breaking down during, uh, an episode I've never, never been this hard. So this is, this is, it's been a real challenge. I mean, Argavon and I have been talking about doing this episode for a long time. Actually, we've been talking about this pretty much since it started, and I think we both have sort of just been afraid to do it a little bit to like just commit and just make it happen. Um, I'm glad that we did. Um, I suspect it's probably not the last time we're going to talk about it. Um, and, and we'll have to come back to this subject some more um, and keep coming back to it and keep coming back to it and keep putting a light on it. Because I think if uh, three of us don't doctors like us don't, I, I don't know who will. Um, and it, and hopefully we've, relayed the importance of it to people i mean it's it's as bad as you thought and worse much worse so um, i just say though there is, on the topic of bright notes so dr hamid karahasen lu was uh he's a physician in iran and a philanthropist he and colleagues have opened up four schools in um in rural parts of iran um and he was arrested after attending the a funeral ceremony for Hadith Najafi. He and his wife were both arrested and he had been sentenced to death, but they actually uh, overturned his death sentence, um, you know, supposedly on some technicality, but they don't really have technicality. So I don't yeah, know right. why, but, uh, you know, there was definitely an outpouring of support from the physician community worldwide for Dr. Gara Hassan Lu. So that's one bright spot. Yeah. Amplifying the voices of the Iranian people helps. It really does help save, save lives. Sharing the hashtag, sharing the stories, it really makes a difference. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you guys so much for, for coming on. Um, Argavon, people can find you at Twitter, right? Where? Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, whatever. All right. And, and Montrek, where can people find you and, and read your article? I'm, I'm big on Instagram. That's what I've been using primarily. Yeah, I'm big in Europe. <laughs> sure sure you're big on instagram <laughs> i have I a canadian girlfriend <laughs> no where, where can people find the article uh the article is available on kevin md if you google search kevin md and type out my name it'll show up um i also have it on linkedin on twitter i have posted it on twitter um and uh, you can find it on kevin md's page um both on twitter and on his website so all I right, will well, say one last thing. Yeah. 
and I may get some backlash for saying this, yes, the people in Iran are fighting, but they're not gonna win this revolution alone. They need all of us to unite and to support them in this, because if we can get our politicians to support us in the ways that we've mentioned, there's no doubt in my mind that we're gonna win this. It's a slam dunk for us. We really need them to start taking those steps. And the only way that they're gonna do it is with our pressure. So please doesn't, join doesn't seem doesn't seem that controversial. Seems pretty. <laughs> well, is it, like I is said, it... she's she's really into what's happening in the Iranian diaspora and what's happening in Iran. I mean, there are a lot of, as you can imagine, with anything else, there are a lot of different opinions on how this should go. And so, yeah. So yeah, people... I mean, we're, I th I think that something you guys have both made pretty clear is that reform ain't going to cut it. You can't reform this level of you know evil. It just it's just not possible. Yeah. I mean, we talk about ACAB. I mean, what do you? All regimes are bastards. Oh no, that's Arab. No, that's a whole different thing. We don't want to do that. <laughs> we we have to come up with something like this. Uh, we'll have to figure something out. We'll we'll brainstorm offline. We'll we'll figure it out. Okay. Anyway, wait. I have to say one more yeah. thing though for your listeners is that one of the other really common things that people will say to me is that I shouldn't call it the Islamic Republic of Iran because it's not Islamic to do these things. And here's the thing: like, that's the name of the country. That's the name of the regime. So if you are Muslim. <laughs> and you don't like what they're doing to the name of Islam, then you too should be on our side trying to right. get rid of this regime because I, that is the answer. Telling I, me to I, call them something other than what they are, I, I'm I, not gonna- I, I, I agree. There's so much noise around this that's ridiculous. Like people saying, you can't be against the Iranian regime and be for the Palestinian people. I'll be like, fuck you, yeah, I can. Watch me, I'll, I'll show you how it's done. You know, there's so much of this nonsense. Uh, it's just tuning it out focusing on what's important. I think when people hear what's happening out there, when they see what's happening out there, they'll agree. I think it's a I think it's a no brainer. So I agree. Yeah, and I'm, I'm just saying we're not we're not here to be Islamophobic. That's not the point right. for any of us or the people in Iran even. The point is this regime is the problem and they happen to have called themselves the Islamic Republic of Iran. There is literally nothing I can do about that. That's their name. But I'm not Islamophobic and I don't think any of us are. And so people people love to bring in other issues, right? Instead of focusing on the real problem. But the real yeah. problem is the oppression of the people in Iran and their fight for freedom yeah. and democracy. I'm all for religion. We don't like to I'm refer to this. it. We don't like to refer to it as the Islamic Republic of Iran any longer. It is the Islamic Republic versus Iran. I like that. Good. Branding's in your future, my friend. I like it. <laughs> all right. Thank you guys. Uh, let's talk again soon, okay? All right, thanks so much. Thank you. This podcast is not a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Please consult a physician or other qualified health care provider for your specific health care needs or concerns. The opinions expressed on this podcast do not represent the opinions of our employees. Details in the podcast have been changed so that patient identification is not possible.
Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. <laughs> 